You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. As Alan mentioned, uh, we're reading from the book of Jonah this morning. As we continue our sermon series in this season, this is our story. Looking at ordinary characters from the Bible and how God used them to do wonderful things in the world. And I want to point out that, again, we're reading from Jonah 3. We're reading at the point where Jonah's already been yacked up onto shore by the fish. And if you want to hear the alternative sermon title, I invite you to see Julie Martin after the worship for what she came up with. But it's interesting as you hear this psalm, how much it sounds like Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish. But continuing the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, verse 10. Hear now the word of God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone great and small put on sackcloth. Now when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, well, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Good and gracious God, here in this place and in this time and in this moment, allow us to be present. Settle our souls, our hearts, and our minds that we may hear where you are calling us to, where we just might not want to go. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts here in this place be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My wife, Eliza, and I have lived in Spartanburg. It's kind of wild to believe this, but we've been here for about a year and a half. And to be honest with you, it probably took me a week at most to fall in love with Sparkle City. Now, much of that is due to this community, community that we found here at First Presbyterian, to the already friends that we know will be there with us throughout our life, the ones who at this point truly feel like family. We felt the love. Know that I quickly became deeply invested in the vitality of this city. I've spent the last year convincing my family in Florida and Alabama, Eliza's family in Columbia and Louisiana, convincing my friends who aren't here and strangers, really anyone who will listen to me, that business is booming in the Berg. Now, while still very Floridian in my blood and my roots, some of those roots are now here in Spartanburg, and my heart is here in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I want nothing more than to see this city flourish with activity and with prominence. 
I hope to see Spartanburg faithfully become a place that embodies the beloved community of God. See, I, I read all the Go Upstate articles, that's right, I'm a subscriber, and I read them about the development happening here with excitement. I try to stay up to date as possible on the current events in the city, the highs and the lows. I've been hyping up the fact that we're getting a minor league baseball team, single A, but we're getting a new stadium. I rave about Sugar and Spice, the Kennedy, and of course, Flock Shop, to all who will hear. I'm a Spartanburg evangelist. <laughs> now, coming from major cities in Florida, Tampa and Orlando, and then the metropolis of Atlanta, I proselytize to the non-believers about our relative low cost of living, our lack of traffic in town, even though it seems like it's growing. I tell them about the abundance of locally owned stores, restaurants, and businesses. I love that most of the time, whether Eliza and I are at the Bond Street Wines, Pine Street Animal Hospital, or walking one of the many wonderful trails here in Spartanburg, I love that I'm going to see someone who I know and love. I love that I'm going to walk into a business and I probably know the owner, if not many of the employees. It's amazing to me that you can get to Charlotte in an hour and a half, you can get to Greenville and 35-ish minutes on a good day, probably more like 45. You can get to Asheville in just over an hour. That Montreat, North Carolina is only an hour and a half away. Understand, growing up for me, it was about 11 to 12 hour trek. So the fact that I can go up there for an afternoon and be back in my own bed that same day, it's mind-blowing. What's not to love about Spartanburg? Hear me out. The people of Spartanburg... All of us, we just might be God's chosen people. <laughs> might. I'm not going to put the claim on it. Now, before we moved to Spartanburg, Eliza lived in Greenville for two years. And she went to Furman there, so she was there for another four. And I used to be all about Greenville because I would go and visit her while we were dating and I was still in seminary. And I loved that we could go and walk Falls Park. I absolutely loved Gianna the Italian restaurant downtown. I love the Trap Door, which is another restaurant downtown, mostly the restaurants. Now, seemingly, Greenville had it all. And then I moved to Spartanburg, and it didn't take long for the Berg to replace Greenville in my book and my heart, which is no knock to G Vegas, as Eliza's college friends call it. Now, as I became, began to become invested in the local news here in Spartanburg, I began to see just how Spartanburg was covered by the news stations in Greenville. I don't know if you all have picked up on this. And this is no offense to anybody visiting from Greenville. We're happy you're here. Now, the news stories would talk about the serious things in business and growth that's happening in Greenville, and then they cut to the stories about Spartanburg, and they go something like this. Well, over in Spartanburg today... There was a bear in the tree at First Presbyterian Church. Whoa, exciting things. Or, well, today in Spartanburg, the old Star Lanes bowling alley, which has been closed for over a year and a half, it caught on fire. It felt as though they were mocking us Spartanburgers. Every time, I just, it feels though they're saying that bears and trees and abandoned bowling alleys on fire were the most important and exciting current events of our great city. From my perspective, I felt like Spartanburg was portrayed as an afterthought, if not the minor league city 
and people to Greenville. But who's getting a new stadium? <laughs> Just saying. In my newfound loyalty to the Hub City, I've taken great offense at the ways that Greenvillians talk about us from their lofty glass buildings over there on Main Street. And it continued this summer at the Montreat Youth Conference. Montreat, a place of love and peace. See, Westminster Greenville Presbyterian Church, another large youth group, well, they falsely claimed on the conference's Snapchat story that they had embarrassed and absolutely beaten down our youth in a pickup basketball game. And so when our youth told me that, they came back to the lodge and they said, they're lying, this didn't happen. Well, I made sure that Westminster Greenville would rue the day that they came for First Presbyterian Church of Spartanburg, and by extension, that the Greenvillians would again attempt to make a mockery of God's chosen people here in Sparkle City. So I told them, you tell them tomorrow, same time, same location. It's going down. And we played the next day. I only ran a couple till I realized that they are in much better shape than I am. And I'll have you know that our youth, they valiantly defended this great city honor in the face of wickedness and defamation. <laughs> we beat them good. Justice. Oh, there was no mercy to be had there. Now, of course, friends, I say all of this mostly in jest. But a part of me, deep down in my soul, it debates. This little part of me, it debates that little devil on my shoulder, whether or not Greenville is deserving of the vitality and the glory and the plans that I know God has for this city of Spartanburg. And understand that that feeling, it's rooted in my loyalty and my defensiveness to the Berg and its people. It's rooted in the people that I know and love, the faithful stewards of God's creation. Now, again, it isn't really that I dislike Greenville. I enjoy going to Greenville. I'm just simply protective of this community. I love this place, maybe a little too much. And I think that's partly the emotional place where Jonah's coming from in, in, in his uh, reception to God's call and telling him where to go. Now in his commentary on this text, the Bishop Corey Driver, he references 2 Kings 14.23, which is another place in the Old Testament where Jonah is referred to. And he says, Jonah's prophetic career outside of the book that bears his name, it's based entirely upon prophesying national greatness for an unrepentant country. As a prophet, Jonah was an unconditional Israelite nationalist. I might be a Spartanburg nationalist, I'm not sure. But to add more context, Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. And Assyria was the empire just north of Israel and one that soon after Jonah, about 15 years or so, would destroy the northern kingdom of Israel and conquer it. And then they'd wage war on the southern kingdom before the Babylonians eventually came and took Judah. You see, Jonah had good reason, good reason to ignore God's call on him to go to Nineveh. So much so that he was willing to be thrown off a boat and be swallowed 
by a fish. Not that he chose that. But to go through all of that than just to go and listen to what God called him to do in the first place. It wasn't simply that Nineveh was a wild city, much larger and more powerful than any in Israel. I'm telling you, there's no doubt that Jonah despised Nineveh. He hated the traffic. Oh, he loathed the people because they sat in their elaborate and elegant villas and they mocked the Israelites. They lived violently, recklessly, and lavishly without a care for anything or anyone. To Jonah, the Ninevites were undeserving of the mercy of God. They were an unrepentant people. <laughs> the irony. Because as Driver noted, Jonah's whole message was the prophecy of greatness for the unrepentant Israelites the so-called chosen people of God. And yet here Jonah is gatekeeping God's mercy from people just like his own. And when he finally answers that call here in the, in the third chapter, I don't know if you heard it, but Jonah only does a third of the job. Scripture says that Nineveh was an enormous city, a three days journey across, and Jonah began into the city. Jonah only walks one day into a city that took three days to get across. And in that one day, he gets to a spot and he goes, here's where I'll share them, God's message. He quite literally does the bare minimum that God is asking him to do. Think about Manhattan. Think about all the boroughs of New York City. It'd be the equivalent of Jonah flying into JFK airport and yelling, just 40 days, y'all, and Nineveh will be overthrown, but only to the folks in Concourse B before he gets back on the plane and flies home. Or it would be if he was called to go to Greenville and he makes it to Pelham Road and at Top Golf says the thing, same thing, only 40 more days before you are overthrown expecting all of Greenville to turn towards God. And then he considers his work done, finished. God, I did what you asked. But God overcomes Jonah's pettiness, and the message spreads, and the Ninevites respond in a full force faith, from the greatest to the least. The repentance of the Ninevites and the turning back towards God, it goes from the king all the way down to every animal. For even the animals are put in sackcloth. Jonah does everything in his power to bring the downfall of Nineveh to say, God, point your finger and smite them. They don't deserve you. And in God's actions, even in the face of Jonah's attempts to thwart, the message is clear. For God looks at Jonah and he says, this isn't about you. If the Assyrians and the Ninevites and all their wickedness can stop and drop everything to turn to God and God's mercy overflows that community, then imagine the power of God's love and mercy within a beloved community that has turned away from God, but finds it in its heart and leaning on one another to turn back towards the place which God is calling them. And all of this leaves me wondering, 
Why are we so worried about what others are doing? Why? Why is it that our attention and judgment is focused on other communities? Is it because, friends, that it's easier to see wrongdoing next door than it is our own house? What does it say that like Jonah, we're quicker to attempt to withhold God's mercy from others than we are to look in the mirror and to see where God's mercy has already forgiven us in our story? Or to look in the mirror and see where God's mercy is needed in our lives here and now? Because the mirror is more powerful than the gavel. God calls us into a reflection of self over that judgment of our neighbor. Isn't our neighbor, that other city, that other church, that other person deserving of the grace of God in the same way that you and I are? And not to extend that grace out of pity, but out of love. Isn't it more powerful to see God's love extend to even our greatest enemy than it is to hoard God's mercy for our individual greatness? Because friends, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the Easter story, the truth of the Christmas and Advent season, it's that Christ's resurrection, Christ's coming into the world, it isn't for the few. Christ's resurrection and salvation, it wasn't for Israel alone. It wasn't only for those of us here in Spartanburg. Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, the salvation that is gifted to us freely in these events, well, that was for the transformation of all. That every hardened heart might be softened, that we might become the beloved community from Spartanburg to Greenville, to Beijing, to Israel, to Pretoria, South Africa, and back. God's mercy is for all. For the beloved community of God, that which we are called to, it's not to be realized in a single place, not just here in Fogarty Hall. That beloved community is to be realized in all of creation. God can be doing incredible things in this place. God can be doing incredible things through our story, working in the beautiful ways through the First Pres Youth or Meal Ministry on Thursday nights, through the Helping Hand Mission, through Joy Fellowship trips, through the vaccine clinics and the Glory Days, Sunday school, through Wednesdays at first. But the truth is that God is so great. God is so merciful, so loving, that God is dynamically moving all over the world with love. We don't own the seats at God's table, but we have a seat. We don't pay for tickets at God's table. God's table has a place for every single person, for every single community who turns towards God. For at this table, mercy and love overflow. 
all who want to come, all who wish to be here in this place, who wish to come and commune with the divine, well, they are welcome. It is not our job to gatekeep, but to extend that hand and that mercy of God, to say, come, join us, and eat. This is an open table. This is God's table. Let us extend that mercy and love towards one another in everything that we do. To God be the God of mercy, the God of love, the God of this table, of communion and of Christ. Be the glory now and forever. Friends, let us pray. Holy God, God of community, you've called us into this place, in this moment, but in our lives, to embody love, to embody forgiveness just as you have forgiven us. Fill us with this truth. Fill us with humility that we may be welcoming and agents of hospitality instead of keeping others away from your love. We pray this all in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the source of life, the word of life, and the gift of life. Amen.